Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning, good morning. It is Thursday, the 10th of March, 2022. And if you missed the opening of the first hour, then you actually missed what I planned to say here because I was an hour ahead of myself. And so um, if you want to know what I was thinking about J.K. Rowling and um, the, the question of whether or not she really wanted to die on the hill of science and biology. Um, You'll have to go back and listen to the podcast um, for the first hour. So you can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. You can also do it on the Faith Radio app. And, uh, you know, I don't mind telling you, I think it was pretty good. So um, we're going to talk this hour about where in the word are you today? So it's one question that I love to ask. Um, I like to ask it of People that I encounter, particularly if there's um, a lull in a conversation with a with a Christian, I think to myself, you know, here's God's opportunity for me to ask the question, um, you know, what what is God teaching you through His Word? Where in the Word are you today? It's one thing for us to be, you know, reading the headline news and um, consuming what's going on in the world. It's another thing for us to have feasted upon the Word and be genuinely nourished um, in our hearts and souls, ready for the conversations of the day. And so I'm just going to confess that emotionally, I feel like we've arrived at uh, like an emotional parking lot. Um, It's at least an emotional traffic jam. And sometimes the only way forward is to like back up and get your bearings and then find a way through. And so there are a handful of chapters in the Bible that I turn to when I feel stuck, when I feel like I have arrived at a place where there's an emotional traffic jam. Um, or even an emotional parking lot. And so some of those chapters are Ephesians 1, um, Colossians actually 1 and 2, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 14, um, Psalm 23, um, Psalm 46. Like I, I have a number of them that I continue to turn over and over and over and over and over in my, um, in my own walk of faith. Romans chapter 8, is one of those as well. These are these are places in my uh, in my own study Bible that are like well worn. You can see the smudgy, uh, you know, like obviously she's turned there lots of times. The smudginess on the edge of the pages—they're highlighted, they're underlined. The margins are full of notations that really are now um, indecipherable. But the pages of my Bible um, are. Like they fall easily open to some of these chapters, Ephesians 1, Colossians 1 and 2, 1 Peter 1, 1 John chapter 4, John, uh, John's Gospel chapter 14, on and on. So this morning, um, I was in Romans 8 again. I, it was almost as if it insisted to be read. Uh, and so I'm going to trust that you need to hear it as much as I do. And I commend it to you in its entirety. Right now, I'm just going to pick up at verse 18. 
So this is Romans chapter 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can stand against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's going to condemn us? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. He's at the right hand of God, and he is indeed interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecutions or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Dr. Peter Kapsner joins us next. I know I told you he was joining us an hour ago. I was ahead of myself. So let us joyfully anticipate our weekly conversation with Peter up next. Dr. Peter Kapsner is actually with us now. I know I told you an hour ago that he was joining us, but he's really yeah, here now. Spirit, spirit was stirring in unusual ways an hour ago. <laughs> I couldn't place it until you mentioned it, and now I know, so thank you. <laughs> uh, 
Ben Johnson might have for a moment had his feelings hurt, but then <laughs> um, he was so good that people were asking on the text line if he is actually the smartest person in the whole world. So no, yeah. no risk of that among in, with, between you and me. Not, no, no, no. Nobody's going to no, suspect we're not that at get all. That text right now. No, no, for sure not. <laughs> no, that's definitely not coming in. All right. So um, I, I loved this story out. I mean, you know, there's not a lot of stories to love out of what's happening in Ukraine right now. There is a video of a little girl um, singing "Let It Go." Um, in mm-hmm. one of these uh, bunkers under the city of Maripol. Um, that one is worth finding and watching. Um, even the crying babies in the background stop crying when she's singing. It's pretty Amazing. sweet. Um, but I wanted to talk with you about this um, the story about this couple that got married at a checkpoint. She's wearing fatigues. The bridal party is carrying rifles and, 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 and RPGs. Like, right? Marriage yeah. matters, and it's enduring, and love is real, and life goes on. Yeah, boy, that was such a sweet article. And and I think there's probably a few observations that you and I can make about this. I know some of the things that were sticking out in my mind included the idea that it's a little jarring to see somebody go through a wedding ceremony in military fatigues, because I think at least in American culture, we've gotten so used to the idea of a flowing, big, long, white dress, and, and understandably so. But I didn't realize until I started looking into this a little bit more that the tradition of the white dress has not really actually been along for that for that or been around for that long of a period of time. It was Queen Victoria who was the first to sort of break tradition in Western culture back in the 1800s. Prior to that, people were wearing really expensive, almost sort of gaudy gold and and um, fur at the as they walked down the aisle. So she brought forth the white wedding dress, and that really did symbolize a, a chastity. Uh, virginity uh, that really became part of the Victorian era that persisted into this day. So the white wedding dress has profound symbol, but it's it's a pretty short-term symbolism. And so when I was sort of jarred by seeing somebody, uh, a couple in military fatigues, I thought, well, the traditions actually haven't been that I'm used to, haven't been around that long. And I think what then really stuck out to me after that was that when you get married, I know for quite a while it's been about who can I be a partner with? Who can I find a be a companion with? Can I find love in this world? And so much of the time, marriage is about trying to resolve some deficit that I feel like I have from a companionship standpoint, and I hope I can be loved and seen. Whereas marriage, historically and especially scripturally, is meant to be something in which you're participating in a bigger story. You're participating in a bigger good together. The, the marriage of the male and the female is meant to be outward-looking, rather than inward looking. And and I'm not suggesting that the Ukrainian war is something that is consistent with God's kingdom, but I am suggesting that the two of them got married as part of a bigger story in their lives that was going on. And as a couple, when you're committed to a bigger story than how well your companionship is going, and you clearly want to have good companionship, right? I mean, that that's part of the deal. But that companionship is always serving a higher purpose. And so I think we can look to the purpose that they're experiencing, which is defending their nation, but also look at even our Christian marriages then in light of that and say, so what is functionally the purpose of our marriage? And, and if it isn't going well, well, we need, to, we need to step into bring some healing and health to that, but it's because we're serving um, a war uh, of its own, a spiritual battle in this world of light and darkness, and, and we're meant to turn outward facing the world together in that place. It was it was a really interesting invitation. A lot was in what well, was a sweet story that I think we can take away from that. So this is where, um, you know, I'm tempted to 
um, make an observation that's probably not 100% appropriate. But because you're here, it somehow doesn't feel as naughty. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but if right. I'm reading no, a headline and it's like the wedding party is carrying rifles and RPGs, there's like a part of me that's like, oh, this is like the Old South and shotgun weddings. Like, right? There's... <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, it's not no, quite. Not and so you've you're made much wrong. more appropriate observations. The other observation that I would make is, you know, it's it's a little it re, it was reminiscent for me of people who have gotten married um, in the chapel of of a hospital um, because one person is dying of some terminal yeah. uh, disease, and to take to take these vows for better for worse for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others till death do us part in a war zone um, or in the chapel of a hospital where, you know, one person is, um, you know, is short of a miracle, not going to live. There's something really powerful about that public witness, about that testimony, um, about our our commitment to um, the institution of marriage, even in the midst of destructive forces in the world. Oh, we got, I'm so over the, I'm so over when I was supposed to take a pause. Peter, you're like one of the few people to whom I can say, um, hey, uh, I have run over the schedule. Let's, um, let's take a brief pause. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner, who's the ever flexible guest because he was once the host of this show. Um, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And he's given us new life. We believe Dr. Peter Kapsner um, joins us every Thursday morning so faithfully, even when he is across the pond, which he is today. Um, tell us where you are and what you're doing. Yeah, I am in Scotland. First time in a couple of years. I did some of my graduate work here, most of it actually. But it's pretty sweet. My daughter, Anna, who is 20 years old, is now studying over here in the same divinity school in which I did my work. So uh, we have come to visit her. We surprised her with my uh, youngest daughter, Abigail. And last night, you know, it's just so easy to take trains around here in the UK. It's so small. So um, we just did. We kind of popped down on, a, on an inexpensive train and uh, and saw a little bit of theater in London yesterday and, and came back. And it's just been a really delightful family time um, that I feel so, I don't know, just honored to be able to do with my girls. So we're having a great time right now. So cool. Okay, so, um, you know, you're you're halfway closer to Ukraine. So um, geographically, what's the what's the vibe? I mean, is there are people talking about it? Are people just yeah. moving on with life? No, for sure they are, Carmen. And, and I think, again, because Edinburgh is such a small village, even though it's a major city, uh, you see a lot of blue and yellow lights, blue and yellow flags. And, and it's such a compressed village as opposed to how spacious the United States is. So it's everywhere. We walked down the pavement the other night and people were hauling up, I don't know how many bags of clothes and other goods to donate. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's it's really in the in the zeitgeist, I suppose, as it is. Uh, in different ways in the States because you are so close to it. And, and Europe is really starting to step up in some ways that they haven't for a while. So the, the last piece of the puzzle of that is they're, they're talking about the slumber of NATO in Europe is beginning to awake, and they're really hearkening uh, some World War II kind of imagery over here that, yes, of course, we are a part of in the States, but it's so in the cultural um, mentality here. World War II is everywhere. We were just by the Churchill Museums yesterday, and it's, it seems almost as every bit as fresh as it was 70-some years ago. So it is it is a different feel over here, for sure. Mm. Um, okay, so um, 
I would like to give you the opportunity to make any comments you might have about Aaron Rodgers announcing he's going to renew his contract with the Green Bay Packers. Oh, I was devastated on a personal note, <laughs> Carmen. Really? As a Minnesota, really? Because well, okay. he's so I, good, and you're like, so oh, good. just move yeah, on. No. Yeah. I, yeah, it was a couple weeks ago that I finally came to grips uh, with the idea. As a lifelong Minnesota Vikings fan, I sort of channeled my inner Chicago Cubs <laughs> fan and, and decided <laughs> I really am never going to see a Super Bowl. You know, when I was in my, my teens, I thought, yeah, I'll see you in my 20s. Yeah, for sure. Thir-. And as the decades have gone on, there, there's literally no chance. And now Aaron Rodgers not just true. basically nailed the nail in the coffin at that point for me. So, so I've given up hope, but I will say this. One thing I like about Aaron Rodgers is that he is, he, he, I think he's invited a conversation in the NFL, wherever you fall on the COVID vaccination uh, mandate conversation. And there, and there's, I'm sure lots of reasons to fall on both sides of that question, as there is in almost any confusing and new social situation. When everyone takes a, a hard line on one side or the other, you probably are missing some things. And, and what I've appreciated about him is he, he took some risks. Now he did lie, or at least he, he was fast and loose with the truth. So I don't appreciate that. But I do appreciate that he created a different kind of conversation that took some of the heat out of the conversation just by willing to step into it. So I'm devastated personally, but I have to admit, I grudgingly, and I would never say it out loud, I would certainly never say it on the air in front of tens of thousands of people. I have pretty significant respect for him as a quarterback, unfortunately. Right, right. Yeah, I just um, I just yep. really so want him to get a haircut. That's my own personal yeah. two cents on this <laughs> matter. Too. That's all I have to say about that. Um, okay, uh, so I know we don't have a ton of time to talk about it, but um, what is going on with the whole snakes and lizards business and people like doing snake therapy massages and there is enmity between God, I mean, between Uh, woman and the snake and God put the enmity there. And I don't know why we're not treating it as such. Apparently a guy arrived at the U.S. border. I don't know. Tell people the story. This is crazy. You you have to. Yeah. Give give me some of the summary. I didn't get a chance to see the entire. I'm so uh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. It's a great story. Right. Oh, it's terrible. A man um, (laughs) tried to come across the U.S. southern border in California. He had 52, 52, count them, lizards and snakes hidden in his clothing. Yeah. And and like he arrives and they're like, dude, your sin, your skin seems to be crawling. Like, right? I mean, the jokes were, I'm sure, like, I, you know, 52 live reptiles tied in small bags concealed in the man's jacket, pant pockets, other places in his body that I don't think I'm supposed to read on air. Nine snakes, 43 horned lizards. I mean, on and on and on. It's uh. It's crazy, and it reminded me of these people who now go to these spas in order to have these live snakes put on them and constrict them as if it's massage. Like, what happened to just reading the Bible and recognizing there is enmity between the woman and the snake, and it's there for a purpose? I can make a very short functional statement and a, and a short theological statement. I think about this. The functional one is just give me the little three ball prong massage thing that you just rub on somebody's <laughs> shoulders. I don't need a live reptile constricting my, my blood vessels to, to feel better about myself. So that that's the first thing, number one. Number two, I do like the theology that you see that you've pointed out, the enmity that is there in Genesis 3 between the serpent and the female. Uh, the symbol of the serpent actually shows up uh, quite a bit throughout the text. It shows up when Moses throws a snap 
staff on, uh, staff on the ground. There's serpents in the wilderness that are biting the heels of the Israelites. Uh, John the Baptist and Jesus himself are calling the Pharisees the brood of vipers. So one thing uh, we could talk about biblically today is that when the serpent first shows up in the garden, he speaks doubt, doubt about God, doubt about God's providence, doubt about God's power and possibility, uh, and says basically, no, you don't need him, cut him out of the equation. And so the serpent is um, it's speaking doubt all the time. And now you see the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. And the offspring of the woman is supposed to bring life and hope and healing into the world. The offspring of the serpent is always bringing doubt. So when Moses throws his staff down, it's because he's doubting God. When they're in the wilderness, they're doubting God. The Pharisees are doubting who can be in the kingdom of God. So if anybody wants to sort of page through the scriptures and see every place the serpent shows up, the serpent is always speaking doubt and, and inviting us to disconnect from God on behalf of our future. It's a pretty powerful symbol. So there you go. There's my functional. You, you don't need a boa constrictor to have a good massage. And there's your theological statement for today. All right. Acts 28 is someone, something that somebody has texted in. Um, yes, about, the shipwreck. Uh, Paul, Paul not being affected by a snake um, who bit him when he was collecting firewood. There you go. Exactly. Yep. Love There's it. So, I love that we have some Bible smacks out there uh, keeping us honest today. All right. That's Dr. Peter Kapsner. He is off to, I don't know, wander the streets of Edinburgh and um, just indulge himself in the realities thereof. <laughs> um, have a great That's time. Right. We'll talk with you next week. We love that you join us. Um, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Next up, Breakpoint with John Stone Street. We've had a lot of folks um, just recognizing that in these days in which we live, we have to figure out a way to talk to our kids. Sometimes the best thing that we can do when our kids are afraid um, is sit and hold them in the dark. But that has um, been the reality for a lot of moms and older adults who are huddled in dark urban basements throughout Ukraine. Um, they've been telling those kids it's going to be okay, you know, like mommy's here. But now, for a week, they've had no electricity. Food and water are scarce. Um, and there's no end in sight. They're asking about their pets. They're asking about their friends. They're asking about their daddies. Um, they were not prepared for this. How could you be? And their experience um, requires not only our consideration, I think it requires us to, to talk to our kids about the realities of the world, violence and war and death and fear and, yes, faith. So Justin Whitmull Early, you know him um, from, um, from his work. Um, we've, done, uh, we've done two of his books um, on habits and rhythms of life. And he's been talking with his boys, his two older boys, um, about these days of war. And so I thought it would be helpful to have Justin come on and talk with us about how he's talking with his boys. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the world. 
Joining us now, Justin Whitmore Early. You know him from The Common Rule and Habits of the Home. Um, he joins us now to talk about some of his thoughts as a dad and help us walk into the conversation of how we talk to our kids um, about the realities of violence and war. Justin, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. How are you doing this morning? Well, I I am well. I am well. Thank you so much. I think there's a temptation to avoid the subject, right? Like, um, but as you know, someone's going to teach our kids about violence and war and death and fear and faith, and I want it to be me. So mm. talk with us about sort of arriving at that point, um, you know, with your kids. And you you share in this piece of the Gospel Coalition, you know, that you've you've talked with your two older boys. So talk with us a little bit about that, too. Like, you know, like there's there's an age, there's a maturity, there's individual conversations, I mean, on and yes, on and on. So just yes. walk us around in what you're experiencing as a dad. Well, you know, two and a half weeks ago, it was my son, my oldest son's 10th birthday, and I was driving him to breakfast, which is one of our traditions. I always take the boys out for a birthday breakfast, just them to talk. And I just mentioned to him, I was like, you know, you're turning 10 at a really incredible time. He was like, you know, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, in your life, you've seen upheaval in america you've seen riots on the streets of our city you've seen a pandemic you and now a war in europe is beginning and he was sort of like huh and i realized that even what i was realizing and experiencing in the world is kind of too heavy for even a 10 year old and it it made me realize that i need to figure out a way to explain these things to him in a way that a 10 year old can understand so then i started to think about how to have that conversation but it was never an idea to have it with the two little ones. I mean, the two little ones who were five and three, I think one of the greatest things parents can do is just create that place of peace and play in the house, which is so important to children. And exactly why what's happening in Ukraine is so sad, because, um, you know, besides just the war, innocent children are being killed and be, make, being made refugees now. So, you know, I, I think it was a moment for me where I realized, I need to figure out a way to talk to my older kids and let them in a little bit on what's going on in the world, but in a way that will still protect them from fear. And that's a really big difference to sort of start to open their eyes to the world a little bit, but but remind them that God is good. He is in control. He is safe. You do not have to bear the burden of this, but let me start to bring you into the world that actually is happening and show you that the world is really fallen and really beautiful at the same time. Yeah, I think it was G.K. Chesterton that said, you know, we should we should talk with our children honestly about what's happening in the world because they already know that dragons exist. That's um, and then That's and then it's yeah. it's wow. fairy tales, fairy tales that tell our children dragons can be killed. Mm. And so wow, I, I think that, that yeah, so I mean I think that this conversation about um talking with kids about reality but doing so um, operating not out of fear, but out of faith is huge. And that's where your list leads us. So again, we're talking with um, Justin uh, Whitmull early. We're talking about a piece that's posted at thegospelcoalition.org, how to talk to your kids about the war in Ukraine. Um, you you produce this, you know, basically just this list for us. Can we walk through it? Number one is peace is not the norm. It's the exception. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, as you start to talk to kids about anything, um, you realize, do I know how to talk about this at all? And that's one of the values, I think, of talk. 
Okay. We, uh, we, uh, we lost him there just for a moment. I'm just going to read what is in the article on this point. Peace is not the norm. It's the exception. An important lesson of the Bible and history is that peace is rare. God is not surprised when nations rage, and we shouldn't be either. Um, though made in God's image, all persons are fallen and capable of horrific evil. Progress and time don't change this. Leaders are as corrupt, power-hungry, and violent as ever. And we would do well to remember this in times of relative peace. Um, I know in our own house we have talked about um, periods of relative peace and actually how those are how those are won. I mean, we've talked about the uh, Pax Romana in our family because our kids are older. We talked about the Peace of Rome. Well, the Peace of Rome only existed um, because of war. All right, Justin is back. Um, and so, Justin, you were saying... Um, that a lot of this is about figuring out how to talk about these things and asking ourselves, do I really know how to talk about peace? That's that's right. And when when we realize, you know what, it's hard to talk to ourselves about this or talk to our friends about this. It's we have to look back at the scriptures and history and what God has done and 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 think about some basics. And one of those basics is that in a fallen world, peace is not normal. It's something that we actually have to fight for, that we have to work for, that we have to protect. And I think it's um really a sobering reminder to us who have lived in almost 80 years, uh, you know, since World War II. Most of us, you know, very few people were alive during that time. And most of us have forgotten how horrific the normal reality is. But the 20th century, with all the all our talks about progress, was the most violent century that's ever existed. You know, the, the more people were killed in war than that century than, than ever before. So it's, we got to get comfortable with the idea that humans are not as good as we think and that our fallenness is something we need to take very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I like point number two: peace is worth fighting for. Um, talk about what you've uh, what you've asked your boys in terms of fighting. Yeah, well, well, the house of four boys like mine, um, and probably most other parents do. You realize that uh, kids kids are going to fight, and especially boys, they're going to hit each other. They understand the world physically, and so one of the things we talk about over and over is. Hey, boys, when is the only time you're actually allowed to fight? And they answer it when you're protecting someone else. And this is just one of those back and forth that I have with them all the time. And, of course, they forget and, of course, they break it. But they know deep down in their bones at this point that there is a time where you're allowed to fight. But it's never for you. It's always for protecting the innocent. And that's just one way that I talk with my kids to sort of slowly introduce what, you know, Um, theologians and historians have called just war theory and and the idea that there is a time that's appropriate to fight. There is a time even that it's appropriate to kill. These are sobering things, but they, they are all for protecting the vulnerable innocent. They are not for dominating other people. They are not for expanding our territory. They are not for expanding our realm of influence. They're, They're not for power. They're for protection. And I think it's good I think it's good to teach our children from a young age that that's the only thing that is that we fight for. That's the only reason why we would ever hurt somebody else. And that's because we reflect God's image, that he loves and protects the innocent. He loves, he is a God of justice. He will avenge the innocent. So this is us. We got to be really careful with this because people are, especially young boys are prone to say, well, I want to fight, you know, but, um, they need to know the boundaries of it. And so at an early age, I want to talk to them about those. 
So um, that led me to think about what St. Augustine had said about just war, that the only reason to ever go to war was the desire for peace. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and on behalf, again, of um, of the innocents. And so I think you're, um, you know, you're you're pressing totally in the right direction in terms of the conversations with your boys. And it's helping each one of us think through the conversations that we need to be prepared to have with our kids and our grandkids. We're talking with Justin Whitmill early. You know him from The Common Rule and Habits of the Home. We're talking about a piece posted right now that Justin wrote it's at the gospelcoalition.org. Um, how do you talk to your kids about the war in Ukraine? We'll, um, we'll proceed down the list in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. The images from Ukraine are images of families. There are lots and lots of images of children, and our children see that. Um, And so how do we talk with them about what they're seeing, and how do we assure them um, of their own relative safety, of our um, willingness to, you know, to fight on their behalf, um, but also just recognize that, you know, evil is real, um, and we in the midst of it are people of faith. We're talking with Justin Whitmill early about how he's talking with his kids about the war in Ukraine. Um, Justin, evil is real, but we don't fear. This is one of the most important things for us to preach to our children and ourselves. Um, if you're like me, a couple years, a couple of weeks ago, when you heard that Russia's invading a country, I mean, my mind went to fear what was happening to the world. I mean, really, what is happening? And it took me, um, it actually was in my conversation with my children that I reminded myself that, oh, right. And this is why sometimes it's so valuable to talk to your kids. You're, also, you're talking to your own childish heart at the same time. And, you know, what I walked them through is, you know, this is bad. This is evil. We should pray for them. But look at me. You do not need to be afraid because while evil is real and it's not just out there, it's here too. It's in our neighborhood and our hearts. God has overcome the world, which means we can be brave and courageous face of danger and evil. And this is this applies to the global crisis right now. This applies to going to the playground when there's a bully there. This this applies to speaking up when you don't want to speak up. The, I think over and over, it's the parents' role to teach their kids that bravery and courage is our response to evil and danger because we have a Savior that wins. We know that he is caring for us. And we know that bad things might befall us, you know, harm and death might befall us, but that's what Christians are for, to be brave in the face of that. And so this was a really enjoyable kind of thing to remind my, my kids of that just that they don't need to be afraid because they have a strong and mighty savior who fights and will win the battle for them. Um, You're reminding me of um, the testimony of, an Iraqi pastor who was was telling the families in his congregation, right, when they come, because they're coming, when they, when they come, right, to be able to look your children in the eye and say, it's only going to hurt for a second. Mm, it's so sobering. Right, right. I mean, this is the, what we're seeing happen in Ukraine is something we have watched um, take place in other parts of the world. Um, it's just that, you know, right, Either your children weren't around yet then, or they were all too little to worry about having these conversations. But everybody arrives at the place in time 
where we have to have these conversations with our kids because in every uh, season, bad things are happening. Evil is real and yes. it is persistent. Um, and so yes. this is so, so helpful. Um, on Justin's list, and I encourage you to go read the whole piece um, at thegospelcoalition.org. Um, I will also uh, post it out on all of my social media. It's good and right to lament violence, um, take heart, God is just. Um, and then we arrive at we must pray and then we must play. I want to add to these, and I want you to talk about them, but I want to add to these. Um, sometimes we have to let our kids do something. Um, and mm. so um, yeah. but depending on their age, right, yours may not be of an age mm. yet to do this. But if your kids are a little bit older, they're going to want to do something. So let them do the research um, of, let's say, orphan care organizations that need some support. Yes. Let them right. let them find a way to do something and then help them do it. So talk about the need to pray and the need to play. Yeah, you know, I just was thinking through this yesterday and writing my uh, email list, just short ways to pray, because I think we can start to feel that it's trite to say, you know, well, I'll, I'll pray about this or let's pray for Ukraine. And it helps to just give words to that. So some of my reminders was, you know, short prayers about praying for the people. Lord, protect the innocent. Lord, bring justice. Lord, give diplomats wisdom and breakthrough. Lord, show us how to help. Like you were just talking about, Carmen. It's, it's hard to know exactly what to do. So really reminding yourself and your children that prayer matters and we should really be doing it, Act, you know, actually doing it, not just saying we'll pray for Ukraine, but actually pleading on their behalf. That's that's a good thing. And you're so right. I think any kid, especially as they get older, is going to say, well, well, how can I help? And what a wonderful question. And I think I love what you said about letting them, if they're old enough, start to get into it and find, hey, find a a missionary organization, a refugee organization, an orphan care organization. Um, some, you know, what a need right now to provide Christian hospitality to millions of sudden refugees, which, by the way, the world is not safe anywhere you go. So being a refugee is is not easy, even when you're going into a, a NATO-aligned country. So what could kids do? I think it's a wonderful idea to have them looking into saying, well, can I give a couple dollars? Can I pray for them? Right now I'm having my um, second oldest boy named Asher. I, I invited him to getting into a rhythm of just kneeling beside his door before he walks into bed and saying a short prayer. And I asked him the other night what he prayed for. And he said, I just, I prayed that God would protect the kids in Ukraine. And mm -hmm. I just thought that's beautiful. It's, and and that's, that's beautiful, not only because of the power of the prayer, but because of the shaping of a heart that learns that it's possible for him to do something on his knees here in America. And I want to celebrate um, the ways in which the the people of Ukraine in the midst of all of this still recognize um, children's need to play. Um, I mean, I, mm -hmm. I watched a video. I mean, like in, in the in the 12 hours that people were you know given this humanitarian corridor, this opportunity to leave, one family went to the playground in the middle of town. They clearly wow. are not leaving, but the kids are out there on the swing sets because like they, they've been in bunkers, right, for for 12 days. Yeah. And yeah. so, OK, we're not leaving We're we don't feel called to leave for whatever reason. But we're going to let our kids go out there and play because kids need that. The video of the little girl singing, let it go. Like, right. They put her on a box up in the middle. I mean, there's, they're in a bunker, yes. but she's singing. Right. I mean, kids need. Kids need the opportunity to play even in um, even in the midst of 
tremendous chaos and hardship. And our kids need to be allowed to play and live um, because we're not at war, like right in the same way. We need to allow them to be kids where we are and not be overburdened with the realities of what's going on um, with others in another part of the world. Is that fair? I think it's one. Yes. And I think one of the gifts of children is that just like they can smell out the dragons in the world, they can they they have a sense, a God given sense that the world does have a good ending and that there are things worth celebrating and playing, even when we parents are crushed by our anxiety. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful roles of a parent is to protect that, particularly when they're young. I often think about that tragically wonderful movie life is beautiful where the father convinces his son that their um you know their time in a nazi concentration camp is actually a complicated game and mm-hmm. and he this is such a beautiful movie and he protects the innocence of his child's joy even as the horrors of evil are surrounding them from all side and i think that idea of the parent's role as being able to create laughter in a death camp being the guardian against evil so that your child can play is is one of the most godlike capacities of a of a parent to to circle around them and say I'll make the world safe here in this living room so that you can play. That's not just a a kind act towards a child. I think that's a kingdom act towards a child. I think that echoes the reality of the kingdom of God that He surrounds us. So yes, we lament violence. Yes, we prepare for evil. Yes. We recognize peace is not the norm, but we can play and celebrate because we know that the king will win this battle. Mm. Nobody knew better the realities of sin and violence and war. I mean, nobody knew it better than Jesus. And in the midst of all of that, he says, let the little children come to me. And he blesses them. For to such as these belong the kingdom of heaven. Like this is, this is what it's about being a, being a child of God, redeemed in Christ, and living as such. Justin, as always, thank you so much for joining us. You guys need to check out what Justin is doing. Justin Whitmill Early, his books, The Common Rule, Habits of the Household. Um, you can find him online, justinwhitmillearly.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Fear is a liar, but um, fear does have a way of using images and stories to um, take hold of us. And I want us to live today as people of peace, the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding. Let's live in him today. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.